This is the normal computing news for Wednesday, November 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. My name is Lunduke. Hey, how you doing? We're talking about all the normal news today because it's Wednesday and that's what you do on a Wednesday. You wake up in the morning and you immerse yourself in the big tech news, the popular computer news. That's just what you do. It's just natural. It's in our DNA. And on Sunday, you talk about the weird stuff. This is this is not, I, I did not make these rules. The universe made these rules. Uh, before we dive into the news, a couple of quick things because we have a huge amount of stuff coming up over the next couple of days that I want to make sure everyone's in sync on. Uh, to start with, the first Lunduke Journal live call-in show is going to be happening on Thursday, November 10th. I'm going to be sending out more details on the time and all the all the shenanigans around that, and it, it's going to be great. I've been wanting to do one of these for a long time where... You don't just have the opportunity to ask me questions, which I've done those shows forever. You can type in a question and, and I answer it in a show. Those are great. Those are fun. But wouldn't it be the best if you could just sit and we could interact with each other? You could ask a question. I could answer it. You could respond. You could make comments. Other people could could call in with their own comments on the previous comments and then the comments of the comments. It's amazing. So we're doing it. We're doing the first one, and we're doing it entirely via Discord. Now, now many people like Discord. Many people don't like Discord. And I totally get both, both ideas on this. The reasons we're doing it via Discord are purely functional. Um, it doesn't work great for a lot of people, but Discord has just the right mix of features for doing an audio show with these sorts of things so I can manage and run a live call-in show entirely on my own. So we'll be doing it via Discord to make that happen, the Lunduke Journal now has a Discord server. Uh, if you are a Lunduke Journal subscriber, either on Substack or Locals uh, with the regular subscription, or if you have the founding member or lifetime subscription, you have access to it. Uh, I put some links here in the uh, in the show notes for this, so you can go click over it and find all the details and get the invite to go to that server. It is only for subscribers. All the all the people who have a free subscription you don't have access to the discord server <laughs> so if you if you want if you want access which it also works as a great 24/7 you know IRC style chat server on top of running the live call in show if you want access to it you got to be a subscriber so so go get on top of that click all the links and and make all that happen all right so that happens on Thursday November 10th the day before that starts haiku week so that's Wednesday, November 9th. Huge week next week. Just just off the charts big. So one week from today kicks off haiku week here at the Lunduke Journal. What that means is we're going to, a whole lot of us, myself included, are going to be immersing ourselves in the haiku operating system, the spiritual and open source successor to BOS. And we're going to be just diving in, sharing tips and tricks, uh, complaining about compatibility problems with Wi-Fi cards, uh, complaining about the lack of 3D, whatever we're doing. Uh, we're going to be doing it about haiku there's just going to be a whole bunch of stuff i've got some articles in the works uh we're going to be talking about it on the show a little bit extra and over in the lunduke journal community lunduke.locals.com we're going to be just going nuts on haiku and in theory 
sometime over the next week, we might have a shot at getting Beta 4 of Haiku. Uh, or, or it'd be really cool if those releases lined up a little bit. Uh, if not, we still have the nightly builds of Haiku that are essentially Beta 4, so either way, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I know a lot of people are looking forward to this. People have been posting about Haiku like in preparation for Haiku Week for like a month now. <laughs> It's it's kind of become haiku month uh, around the Lunduke Journal, uh, so that that's that's on Wednesday, November 9th, one week from today. Now, so Wednesday, then then Thursday, November tenth is the live call-in show, the first one, and then Friday, November eleventh, is another debut is the new interview series. We're doing a video interview series. I've been looking forward to this forever. I am going to be talking with known people, unknown people, just people who are doing stuff that's truly interesting or fun or exciting or weird or historically significant in the computing world. And I I sit down with them for a long-form, non-scripted interview. And don't think of this like a traditional interview. This is more, more nerds talking with each other um, <laughs> hanging out around me. Uh, that that's what it is. It's it's just nerds talking about nerdy stuff. It it's I'm really excited for it. I think you guys are going to be super jazzed. I've got one of them coming up. I I'm I'm not going to spill the beans on who all is lined up yet, but one of them coming up in December at the beginning of December is crazy. I. Do not know how I got this person to agree to come on my show. It is nuts, but I'm excited for it. And, <laughs> and we'll I'll tease that more. Maybe I'll, I'll drop little hints or something going forward. So that kicks off on Friday, November 11th. And then Saturday, November 12th, is Mac OS Sucks. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun show. That one we're going to do live. Just like we did with Linux Sucks 2022, I'm going to live stream it as I perform it. You guys get to watch it live as it's happening, but you have to be a subscriber. Again, you have to be a full subscriber to the Lunduke Journal. So if you are not currently, go pick it up right now. You need, you want that. You don't want to miss out on this. This is going to be a big one. It's going to be fun. And I'm going to release the recorded version, again, only for subscribers. Now, I'll release a couple of clips. I already have in mind which portions of the show I'll probably cut like two or three minute clips out for depending on how it kind of turns out but uh and those will be released publicly like i'll put them up on youtube and whatnot but if you want the full hour long show and you do you need to be a subscriber so go grab that now um you just you, you need to be on top of that so it's a big week it all really starts one week from today wednesday november 9th it's like four days in a row of just crazy nerdy shenanigans it's all over the place so uh get your subscription hop on the discord server so that you can take part in the live call-in show i mean it's a chat show man nerdy chat show we need this in our lives (laughs) okay let's move on oh we got some crazy news let's start today with apple and the european union so the eu so this is not news for a lot of you Uh, But it's news for some of you. So the European Union, as you may know, passed a law that has forced Apple sometime between now and 2024 to add a USB-C port to the iPhone. 
which means Apple will be probably dropping the lightning connector port in favor of USB-C, at least in Europe, but probably worldwide. I don't know why they would, I don't know why they'd separate it out into the European iPhone and the, and the American iPhone. That'd just be ridiculous. So they'll probably be for the next iPhone switching over to USB-C. And that's, that's crazy because the European Union has dictated to Apple what their hardware is, not what its repairability is, but what kind of ports it uses, what kinds of transfer protocols it uses. And that's fascinating to me. Now, I personally would prefer an iPhone to have a USB-C port because that's just more convenient. I would rather have a large collection of USB-C chargers and cables than have to have, you know, lightning connectors and USB-C connectors and mini USB connectors. That's just, it's annoying. Having a whole bunch of them be USB-C, that's just way more convenient for me. I mean, it just, it just is. Uh, that, and plus, Apple has already moved over to USB-C for the latest release of the iPad. So it just makes sense that clearly Apple's going to be moving away from Lightning and over to USB-C. It's a given. It's a given. But here's where it gets really interesting. So they aren't stopping with hardware. They're going software too. So according to Wired, one EU official is quoted as saying, quote, if you have an iPhone, you should be able to download apps, not just from the app store, but from other app stores or from the internet. Oh, that is an EU official stating flat out that you should be able to quote sideload, as Apple puts it, software onto your iPhone. Now, there is a law behind this. It's called the Digital Markets Act, which was passed by the European Union Parliament back in July of this year. And here's the thing. The EU makes it very clear in that law that it can be used for that law can be used for this purpose. And European Union officials like this one are on record as saying that they would like to use it to force Apple to allow third-party software stores and the ability to, quote, sideload software. Now, sideload, I mean, that's that's a ridiculous term. You're not sideloading software, you're just installing software. If you have a computer, which an iPhone is a computer, the act of installing software is installing software. We don't need a new term for that called sideloading. You just, if you copy an installer over an application over and install it, it's installed. You installed software. It's not sideloading software. Ridiculous. Um, Google and Apple both are really guilty of that. They, they kind of created this weird narrative where they've tried to demonize the verb sideloading and and take something that was normal like installing software via downloaded software from floppies or cds or thumb drives or cartridges or whatever that we've done for decades and decades and de basically as long as we've had computers They've taken something normal and said, it's evil and dangerous. It's sideloading. And that's ridiculous. Anyway, so the European Union wants to force Apple to allow sideloading, which also means to allow to install other software stores. So you could conceivably see, I don't know, um, a, a, a Steam 
or a Amazon store or something like that sitting inside of an Apple device, in theory. Now, obviously, I personally want the ability to do this. I want the ability, because an iOS device is under the hoods, for all intents and purposes, a mock next step operating system. It is macOS or macOS X, at least at some level at some point in time. Obviously, there's differences, obviously. However, it is a powerful operating system. I would like, if I have a series of iOS devices, I would like to be able to install whatever I want on them. Now, this comes into play for me with things like <clears throat> virtual machines, emulators, uh, scripting environments, development tools, right? I would like to be able to install and build full development suites on an iOS device that can build and compile iOS applications and, and, and do all that sort of stuff. These are things that I would like to do because it's a computer and I would like to do those things with a computer. However... I am really torn about a government stepping in and saying how Apple can or cannot build not just their hardware, but their software as well. It gives me great pause. Because I am it's I am free to disagree with Apple's approach, their current approach to hardware, right? In old days, in the old days of Apple, right, back in the 80s and 90s, and even the early 2000s to, to some degree, Apple was pretty good about modularity or cr and cross-platform work. I mean, heck, there was there was a period of time where you could get PowerPC Macintoshes with DOS compatibility cards that were literally removable and upgradable cards that contained an entire x86, like a 486 DOS PC with a Sound Blaster audio card and everything inside your Mac where you could have hot swappable batteries and drive bays that you could eject live while your machine is running. That, that was how Apple laptops used to be. I would like to see that again. But do I want the government to come in and force Apple to do that? No, that, that makes me uncomfortable. I want to see Apple do what Apple thinks is best, right? I would like to see Microsoft do what Microsoft thinks is best. And if they don't do what I think they should do, I am going to mock and ridicule them on the internet. <laughs> this is what we do. I am, And I'm not going to purchase their hardware, or at least not purchase them as much, if they're not providing me the services I want or the types of hardware I want and someone else does. I, it makes me uncomfortable. Like what if, what if Apple has an idea for a piece of hardware that needs to have a wholly different port than USB-C? What if there's a reason that USB-C, the bus being on the main board, would cause a slowdown or some other problems with it and that I don't foresee of? I would, I would like for the Apple engineers and the Apple designers to be responsible for that. They get to choose the pluses and the minuses, the benefits and the drawbacks of the hardware and the software that they create. And likewise, with the software store, do I want to be able to install software on my uh, iPhone? Yes. Would I consider buying an iPad right now? No. No, I wouldn't. Would I consider it 
if it allowed me to install whatever software I wanted and all of a sudden people came out with more emulators and virtual machines and development tools that ran on it, you know what? I might. I really might. But do I want a government forcing Apple to create it? I don't want the government in the job of telling a, comp- a, a computer company how to build the computer, right? I want those companies to be free to let their freak flag fly. I want them to be free to go out there and make a device that I'm going to make fun of. Go nuts, Apple, right? Take Tim Cook. If you don't want me to be able to install software, totally fine. I'm going to make fun of you for that. I'm going to ridicule you for that. <laughs> and and hopefully, at some point, someone will convince you to change your mind on that. But I also want you to be able to decide how it should be done. It's sort of like if you go back in time to uh, um, the, the first iMac that came out. Right, the first iMac, those CRT iMacs. So a lot of people give Steve Jobs credit for those, and he deserves some, but those were really built and designed under Gil Emilio. Gil Emilio was the CEO prior to Steve Jobs coming on board with Apple, and the, uh, those iMacs were one of the big projects under Gil Emilio's uh, terribly short tenure. And what if the government had come to Gil and said, you know what, Gilly baby? This iMac thing you're building is cool, but uh, you can't put USB-C on the or USB ports on them. You have to put uh, Apple Talk and PS2 connectors on them. Well, on the one hand, when the iMacs came out and they didn't have your standard ADB ports on them, which were the ports that Apple used for keyboards and mice and whatnot prior to USB. That would have made a lot of people, including myself, happy because, well, I had a lot of mice and keyboards that used ADB. But on the flip side, it was clearly a very prescient move to move to USB. And Apple had the right to design their machine in whatever crazy way they thought they needed to to build this machine for the future. And they did that, and it worked, and it was great. They deserve to have the chance to take that risk. The same is true of the lightning ports or um, the ability to sideload or not. Like It's not my place to make those calls. It's my place to, as a consumer, decide which one I want to buy, and as a commentator and pundit or journalist or whatever the heck you want to call me, to comment on it. That's my job. So I don't love the EU saying that Apple has to do this. And what's funny to to me is none of these things really get into the right to repair stuff, which in my opinion is a far more pressing issue. You still can't replace the battery on an an iOS device or an Apple laptop. Those things are stuck in there. Basically, it means that your machine has a has a pre-built-in end of life because those batteries, they die after a while. And not just die as in they don't work well, but die as in they eventually explode. <laughs> and yet, the, is the EU tackling that? No. <clears throat> no, they're not. Are they telling Apple to go back and be more modular like they used to be in the old days where you could swap out components and swap in cards and and pull a lever to eject your drive entirely off of your power? But no, they're not telling Apple to do any of that. 
they're just telling Apple to do things that would make it more convenient or that would make them like the Apple product more. That seems weird to me. I, I like I, I it seems strange that they would say you can't use lightning connectors, but it's okay if you make it so nobody can uh, can fix or replace a battery. Weird. Really, really weird. Anyway, I, my my guess is this going to go back and forth for a while, but uh, yeah, yeah, very, very strange. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on all this, by the way. Uh, it's 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 terribly weird. And Apple is not the only computer or or phone company that's going to be impacted by all of this, but they are one of the most they are possibly the most high profile in large part because of the lightning connector and the fact that they don't allow any sort of quote side loading at least not really not effectively i mean yes you can install xcode on a on a current enough mac and have a developer account and blah 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 and eventually you can compile and load something onto your iphone but they don't effectively provide the ability for an average user to do it, right? So this is so Apple's the biggest profile one of this, but uh, it's still, uh, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, whether you're a Mac user, an Apple user, or not, I would really love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I'm, I'm, my thoughts are all over the map, all over the map. All right, let's move on, move on. So the gnome project, and again, it is pronounced gnome as in garden gnome, not gnome as in not a garden gnome, um, is closing all of their mailing lists. <laughs> this is this is kind of funny. So if you've been around the open source world, every big open source project, from the Linux kernel to office suites to desktop environments and distros, they all have a massive collection of of email lists. They just do. Huge ones. I mean, I used to be on the uh, the board of directors for the OpenSUSE project. And OpenSUSE had at that time, I don't know how many, it felt like bazillions of email mailing lists. I, I know there was an actual number, maybe a hundred. I don't know. It was, it felt like an almost unlimited number of them. And it was just insane. And there were other projects that had even more mailing lists. It was nuts. Noma's closing them all down in favor of a forum hosted on discourse. It's fascinating to me because you don't see that happen very often. You know, you'll see forums set up for user support and things like that, but you'll still have the majority of of communication within the project happen via the mailing list. Well, they're just shutting it down. Uh, no, the GNOME team is killing it. This, uh, this is a quote from uh, the infrastructure team lead as told to the register. Quote, since we introduced Discourse, their forum, Gnome's Mailman instance. Mailman is a, is a very popular email mailing list program that's that's server side and has been used by every open source project since the 1300s. Uh, Gnome's Mailman instance has seen a decline in utilization over the past years. The new platform offers way more features than Mailman, including gamification which newer generations in general appreciate, but also markdown support, RSS feeds, proper spam support, multiple authentication types, and so on and so forth. No, no I, I don't know about you. 
<laughs> but the part that really jumped out at me was the gamification bit. Uh, gamification, which newer generations in general appreciate. So the, <laughs> so the Gnome team was like, you know what we need to do? We need to take our internal project communication uh, that our project uses to coordinate what we do, the development, the reporting of bugs, the, uh, the coordinating of going to events uh, and general marketing discussions, and we need to gamify it. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. <laughs> okay. All right. But you know what? Whatever. Sure. Um, now the, the executive director of GNOME actually blamed this all, this whole thing on Python quote, like many other projects, which use mailman, we are finding that relying on a Python two program is not sustainable. <laughs> so, okay. Thoughts. First of all, have a mailing list. Don't have a mailing list. Not the end of the world. It's a little funny that you guys want to gamify your internal communications. Um, that's just weird. But you know what? Whatever floats your boat, go nuts. Uh, two, they were using an older version of Mailman, right? So Mailman has multiple versions. An earlier version of it relied on Python 2 as opposed to Python 3. Upgrading between versions of Mailman is non-trivial. Um, as speaking as someone who's administered Mailman in the past, it's doable. It is not a simple little thing. And unless you're getting a lot of usage out of it, I totally see why they may not want to do it. Three, relying on a Python 2 program is not really a problem right now, considering that modern enterprise versions of Linux, such as Red Hat Enterprise Linux, uh, current versions are still shipping supported and security tested versions of Python 2. So that's not actually an issue, um, but you know what? It's fine. You guys can make the call. You guys know what you're do what you want, how you want to run your servers. No big deal. Now, this does, however, showcase another example of the problems with the Python 2 to Python 3 upgrade. Python 3, in many ways, is simply not compatible with Python 2, which is fine, except you really have to consider them wholly different languages because of the compatibility issues, even though there are, you know, mostly similar system, similar languages. So the problem is, they essentially have kept the name the same. It's still just really Python. If they should have just named Python 3, Python 3, or Py 3, or something else, so that they could avoid these sorts of, pro of problems. It's weird when you end of life a programming language, right? Like, it would be very strange to say, take um, uh, ANSI standard C++ and say, you know what, um... We've updated a newer version of C++. Uh, programs written in C++ that are more than four years old cannot compile anymore, and we're no longer going to ship them. That would be so weird. And yes, yes, a lot of you are going, aha, Landuk, there are examples here, and there are. However, it's still really weird. <laughs> anyway, it's weird. Um, Ubuntu. Ubuntu news. Ubuntu version 23.04 might be named, codenamed, Lunar Lobster. So, scheduled for release in April of this coming year, 2304, 
does not yet have an official alliterative animal name, right? So like Dancing Doggy or Cantankerous Cow, which are not real ones, but should be. Um, every release of Ubuntu gets a, a version of, of those alliterative animal codenames. We don't know what the one is going to be for the next release yet. However, Ubuntu, <laughs> the Ubuntu Twitter account, released a tweet with three characters in it Two emojis and a question mark. The first emoji was a moon with a smiley face. And the second emoji was a lobster. So, so, technically, they were asking a question with a question mark. A moon and a lobster. Since the current release is kinetic kudu with a K, and they always go in alphabetical order, that means the next the next alliterative name, it starts with an L, therefore the lobster is kind of an obvious because it's a lobster. And Moon, uh, Lunar or Luna, probably Lunar because of how they how they do the naming, so probably Lunar Lobster. Who knows? Um, uh, as was pointed out by a couple of people in various forums, social media, all over the place, uh, there is a tarot card. I didn't know. I don't know about this stuff. There's a tarot card called the moon. I think it's tarot card. Uh, I can't read number 13 I, I, or 18. Shoot. I don't know. Anyway, it's the moon and there's a big moon. And at the bottom of the tarot card is a lobster. So is, is the new a version of Ubuntu, the lunar lobster somehow related to the tarot card or, or is the tweet having something to do with tarot cards or that particular tarot card? I have no idea. Probably not. It's probably they just wanted to say Lunar Lobster and it sounded fun and that was just happenstance. But there you go. It's probably going to be Lunar Lobster. You heard it here, second or third. Moving on. I would like to let you guys know about a little command line tool that I thought was incredibly cool that just came out. It's called VHS. Now, it's a little open source tool that runs on Linux, Mac, and Windows. And it is quite possibly one of the coolest little tools I've ever seen. What it does, it's a command line tool that takes in a little script. And and saying script is too complicated. It's really just a list of commands. And what it does, uh, commands and settings. And it runs those terminal commands and spits out an animated GIF of the output of it. And it looks really, really good. So if you've ever wanted to release an animated GIF of something happening in your terminal, uh, loading up a piece of software, running a couple commands and looking at the output, um, just doing a Neo fetch, whatever, and releasing a GIF of it, this is a really great way to do it. There's a whole bunch of settings, font sizes, uh, typing speed, because you can say you can tell it to type out a set of commands and it'll just type it on the screen Um and you can tell it what speed to type it at. And uh, it takes the output and makes it beautiful, crisp, and a nice little animated GIF. Super easy and convenient. And it runs on all three major platforms, which I think is incredibly cool. Um, I've only tried it out on Linux, but it says it runs on Windows and Mac. And I don't see any reason not to believe it. Super, super neat. Uh, I've linked to it. I've got a link over in uh, in the article version of the show. Go, go, Go check that out. VHS is what it's called. Love it. Love it. Super cool. All right. Chromebooks. (laughs) So Chromebooks and to a lesser extent tablets are seeing massive, massive declines in their sales, like huge, like massive declines. According to IDC, which measures these things, Chromebook shipments 
struggled in the third quarter of 2022, falling to 4.3 million units and a year-over-year decline of 34.4%. Huge. Huge. I mean, that's crazy, crazy big. Um, so, and, and, and to a lesser extent, we're also seeing tablets are down. This was the fifth consecutive quarter in a row of declining tablet sales. Um, it, it, but it's not huge, huge declines. It's, it's down um, 8.8% from this time last year, which is a, I mean, it's a big drop. Don't get me wrong. It's a big drop, but it's not the 34.4% decline. Now, the they broke it down, and I, I included a screenshot here of, uh, of the top five Chromebook makers. Lenovo, this is wild. Lenovo saw Chromebook sales down 54.8? Is that an 8? Yeah, 54.8%. Almost 55% year on year. Oh my gosh, that's a huge drop. I mean, that is just wild. That is wild. <clears throat> that is massive. Lenovo went from the number one Chromebook maker to the number four Chromebook maker in the space of, of one year, from, from 2021 uh, to 2022 quite uh, just massive now last year at this time uh the third quarter shipments for 21 2021 was 6.6 million now it's down to 4.3 million i mean obviously 4.3 million laptops in that category that's nothing to sneeze at that's still a big market but wow, that is a massive drop. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that drop, but considering that's been a consistent, steady decline, and it's a decline in such a, a startling number, holy smokes. I mean, none, I'm looking at it right now, not one of the top five Chromebook makers saw an increase saw any year-over-year -year growth. In fact, the one that was harmed the least was Dell Technologies. So Dell's Chromebooks only shrank 19.9%. They did the best. Um, I mean, huge. This is huge. This is, that's a lot. That's a massive drop. I mean, if, you know, if Apple comes out and posts, you know, a 50% drop in, in tablet sales, oh, doggy. I mean, that's big. That's big. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see how this how this goes. Um, I, I'm kind of mixed on Chromebooks myself, always have been. We have Chromebooks in the family. We mostly use them for like school type stuff for the kids. Um, they're great, cheap little Linux desktop machines. You know, you just need a little, a little cheap rig. Um, so I, I, there's certainly a very good purpose for them. Uh, I used to use a, a Chromebook. What was it a Pixel C? Uh, those were that was interesting. And then the the that big fancy Pixel one. Uh, app, uh, Google sent me one uh, just to try and woo me over many many years back. And that was a really uh, it was like an i5 processor in it and whatnot. I think that was that was that was a pretty fancy machine. But uh, realistically, I just uh, if I use a machine, it tends to not be a Chromebook. So I get it. All right, let's talk about Twitter very briefly, because uh, that kind of is the news. Uh, I'm not going to belabor it because you guys, you guys have all seen it. Um, Twitter's uh, new El Presidente Elon Musk says the following on Twitter: "Quote." 
Twitter's current lords and peasants system for who has or doesn't have a blue check mark is beep. Uh, I censored him because Elon, you used a naughty word. Don't do that, Elon. It's naughty. Um, power to the people, he says. Blue for $8 per month. Price adjusted by country, proportionate to purchasing power parity. That's a lot of Ps. Alliteration for the win. You will also get priority in replies, mentions, and search, which is essential to defeat spam slash scam, ability to post long video and audio, and half as many ads. You'll still get ads, but half as many. And paywall bypass for publishers willing to work with us. This will also give Twitter a revenue stream to reward content creators. There will be a secondary tag below the name for someone who is a public figure, which is already the case for politicians. And then he posts a picture of him. I think he's in a like a like a I don't know like a samurai knight robot red outfit and he's he looks really excited and he says all for eight dollars yes and he, he posts that picture anyway uh, so here's my thoughts on this uh, they're many and varied I'm kind of all over the map on this uh, like I was with the Apple thing but in general I think this is a good idea I am I am not a fan of of making free services that are that are sponsored entirely by advertisements because when you do that you make the people using the service the product of the service right um it's it's the same reason i don't do ads on the lunduk journal right the only the only promotional bit you'll ever hear on the lunduk journal is for the lunduk journal itself because you are not the product Right. The product is this podcast, those articles, that uh, that comic strip, the videos that go up, the comic books, whatever it is. Those are the products. That's what you pay for. That's what you get. Those are the products. The person consuming it, the person enjoying it, the person just partaking in it, they should never, ever under any circumstances be the product it is disrespectful to the end user it is disrespect it would be disrespectful to you right and this is why the, and this is the fundamental reason why i do things the way i do right so there's a i there's no ads that run in the lunduk journal and if you want to take part in the lunduk journal community there is a uh, what they call a paywall. You know, you have to pitch in a couple of bucks, otherwise you can't get in, right? Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a cover charge or whatnot, but it it serves so many purposes. The first and foremost is it makes you not the product, right? You're the customer. Uh, the, the service is the product. Number two, it keeps the riffraff out. It keeps the trolls out. It keeps the, the bots and the spam, and it keeps all of that out. So, Twitter right now is mostly bots and spam and trolls. Like if you got rid of the bots and spam and trolls, uh, Twitter might be a pretty nice place. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell because it's like 95% bots and spam and trolls. So what happens if you eliminate that, right? Put in something in place where it downplays people who don't pay. Or it downplays or prohibits people who don't pay from commenting or replying. Or or maybe, maybe there's a setting where you can click a button and you only see replies from people that are full paying, you know, $8 Twitter blue whatever services, right? That sort of thing might work. It might make it so Twitter is an enjoyable 
place to hang out. I'm not sure if it will because Twitter's kind of a nightmare right now, but maybe it'll work. I mean, it sure as heck has worked in the Lunduke Journal community, right? If you go over to lunduke.locals.com, it's just friendly and happy and nerdy and there's no trolls and, and everyone kind of, they police themselves, I set forth very few rules, but one of the rules is that I don't allow people to go around cursing and swearing, and I don't allow people to talk about politics. So in the rare occasions where someone is um, posting a news story to talk about that's very nerdy, something very computery about Linux or Apple or something, but it veers into politics ever so, People always put up a little disclaimer. They're like, ah, I know, I know, we are not, we don't go down the politics road, but this is kind of a, a moment where uh, this is it's kind of applies because it's very nerdy and, and, and we're all very conscious of it, right? And so everyone's very respectful of not just the rules of the platform, but of each other. And it's just a pleasant place to be. Could Twitter be like that? Oh, I, I doubt Twitter could be that great. But I think that this is a potential step forward towards making Twitter a more usable, enjoyable, and practically useful place to be. So I support this as a general rule of thumb. I I support putting up a, a Twitter paywall, even if it's just changing who gets the blue checks and who gets the priority mentions in the tweets and whatnot. I, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that because it, it it doesn't remove people's ability to speak, but at the same time, uh, it puts up a, a paywall that says if you want to use this service in any real way, you need to pitch in a couple of bucks, right? And is $8 per month a lot? I don't think so. I, I mean, if you get something out of Twitter, right? Like if you use it right now and you said, you know what? I use Twitter, whether it's few minutes a day or a few hours a day, whatever, whatever people use Twitter for, right? If you use it already and it's nice, I mean, yeah, okay, eight bucks a month. I, I, I get that. Now, honestly, the whole cutting ads in half thing, no, 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 no. Cut ads entirely. Eight bucks a month and you don't see an ad, right? Uh, it, I, I like that a lot. In fact, if Elon really is serious about making it so that Twitter is a free speech platform where everyone is equal and all that sort of thing, you need to make it so that advertisers have no say over what content gets posted. Because as soon as advertisers have a say over the content that gets posted, you do not and cannot have a fully free platform. It is not possible. Just like it's not possible to to host a podcast where you advertise for companies and have it be a truly unbiased podcast. Not possible. It's not possible to have a, a news website with ads on it, whether it be Google ads that are auto-generated or or banner ads that you sell to companies or sponsor spots or any of those sorts of things. The moment you take money from other companies, it's a conditional thing. They only give you money as long as they're happy with you. And if you say things that do not represent them well, you'd stop getting their money. So even if they don't yank the money away from your platform, 
That that thought, that fear is always there as, as a publisher in the back of your head. You will always be censoring yourself or modifying what you say. Every publication I know of, every single one suffers from this. And this includes my own. When I used to I used to do shows and I had some great sponsors, great, nerdy, uh, very practical uh, sponsors that made sense for the shows that I made. Great ones. They were amazing. I absolutely in the back of my head, even though I didn't try, I tried not to, but I absolutely in the back of my head was always thinking, how does this present the sponsors? Does this make them happy? Does this make them look good? The same is true if you have a social media platform. If you have millions or even just thousands of people posting things on a social media platform, you now have to worry about how each and every one of them is speaking and is allowed to speak and how it how it looks for those companies that advertise on your platform. Even whether they're blue check $8 a monthies or free people, it doesn't matter. So if if Elon's really serious about about making Twitter a a bastion of free speech and a great place to hang out and a great place to speak your mind and have debates and spread news and information and be free about it, you have to get rid of advertising entirely and make it a service that people pay for. You, people don't have to get, you know, uh, even most of the services of Twitter for free. You can make it read-only for free. You can make it so that people can can post and comment and whatnot, but but people rarely will see will see it unless they unless they pay. Whatever you want to do. I don't know. I don't know. There's lots of options. But unless you go down the route where you get rid of ads completely, there's there's no way to make it work. I've made it work with the help of all of you with the London Journal community, uh, because we've gone 100% ad-free. It's the only way to go. It's the only way to go. Um, anyway, uh, that's that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the normal news for this week. Again, thank you everyone for hanging out. Thank you to everyone for for all the subscribers, for all the people hanging out in the community, uh, what people that are, are starting to go over and use the, the Discord server. For those of you coming up and looking forward to the next week, Haiku Week, the call-in show, the interview show, Mac OS sucks, all of it. I'm excited to hang out with you. It's going to be a fantastic week. Uh, next week is going to be insane. <laughs> uh, this, week, this week, I've been trying to like, recharge my batteries a little bit because I'm like next week I am going to be going nuts 24 7 it's going to be a big big week but I'm super psyched about it all again if you haven't picked up the subscription do it for all the reasons we just talked about <laughs> go do that uh pick up the the yearly subscription or the monthly subscription or the founding member subscription or the lifetime subscription there's there's links just go look at the links and click on whatever makes sense to you uh but pick one up so you can take part in all this because it's it's so much fun and uh it makes all of this possible really i, I couldn't do it without all of you all right um uh so uh, last week our last show, which was last uh, Sunday, I, I mentioned at the very end of the show that uh, I'd been I'd been signing off my podcasts with uh, the following phrase, and I'll see you all a little later. 
it I don't know why I was doing that. <laughs> it wasn't a planned thing. And um and I started joking that, you know, maybe I need um to come up with a, a real a real outro. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to put it out to you guys. I'm gonna start going through slogans, little sign-off catchphrases for the next several shows. I want to hear from you guys which ones I should try. If you've got some ideas for some great little sign-off phrases, right? Like, uh, you stay classy, San Diego, right? Those sorts of things, right? <laughs> I want to hear what you think I should try. Um, I, I'm going to go through them. I'm going to go, you know, and that's the news you can use, you know, whatever they are. Um, preferably new um but i'm willing to try my my hand at Im- doing impressions of older uh sign off phrases from uh you know from classic news shows and whatnot um but let's try a few on let's see what fits let's see what fits so post them in put them in the comments put your ideas in the comments either on substack or over on locals let me know what you think i should try for the next episode and co- this coming sunday i'll i'll try i'll try my hand at you know whatever we come up with so that way i don't have to do and i'll see you all a little later <laughs>